Hello, welcome to Hike Talk Repeat. My name is Daniel McMahon, and I am here with Oscar Aranda. Yes, sir. Yeah, the one and only Oscar Aranda, who is in his mid-40s and well and alive with his intellectual, intellectual capabilities as he is a student here at Cal State Long Beach. Yes, I am, and I'm happy to be a student here, actually. Making the it's best great. of it. Studying yeah. abroad this summer. Yep, yep. Going to be hitting Italy, going to Croatia. Going to spend uh, almost a month out there, a month and a half. It's going to be great. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Not to mention, you are an educator yourself. Yes. Uh, well, I, I, I teach. I still uh, do a lot of training for uh, law enforcement professionals, and I also... Uh, do a lot of the uh, arrest and control types uh, teaching stuff like that to officers who are being newly trained and also training uh, law enforcement and uh, other organizations within the state that are currently still working so yeah I do a lot of training yeah a lot of training so the laundry list is detective SWAT you were a mediator for I was a uh, crisis negotiator. Crisis negotiator. Yeah, there we so go. I've, I, I spent over 20 years in law enforcement. I started really young. Um, when did you start? I actually started at the age of 20. Okay, yeah. Um, you know, I grew up I grew up locally here in, uh, in one of the neighborhoods in the city of Norwalk. And, uh, you know, at that time, especially in the 80s, there was a lot of gang violence, uh, a lot of drive-by shootings, so... We spent a lot of time on the floor of the house. <laughs> we laugh about it now, un, but un, hey, ducking you know, windows, yeah, exactly, <laughs> uh, dodging bullets. But uh, you know, I, I, my, my brother was uh, killed when I was thirteen. So, oh, um, and and not only that, I had a lot of uh, acquaintances and friends that were m- murdered during that time, during those years. So, um, growing up in that environment, I think that that's what motivated um, me to go ahead and pursue a career in law enforcement. So were a lot of these crime, these murders, related to drugs? It, it was related to gang violence. Just and, general and gang violence. Just in ge- general gang violence, yeah. I mean, it was, you know, in the 80s, was you had a lot of turf territory type deals, you know. Uh, this, this part of the area of this city belongs to us, and the other side belongs to them, and... It was all about just, hey, you know, almost every other night, if not every night, you know, we had the helicopter out there. We had shootings. We had something going on, always something going on. And one thing that I got to see was, you know, I got to see the side of law enforcement enforcing some type of, you know, uh, public safety and control. And uh, it was just... I didn't like growing up in that environment. I didn't want uh, other kids to feel that, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know, so. And so when you say belongs to, like, what, like <laughs> are they just, like, extorting families or businesses? Or it's just literally, you stepped on the wrong side of the street. You don't belong here. Yeah. So it, it's... It, I wouldn't say that it's extortion, uh, extorting families back then in that time. There was a sense of respect amongst... There was a code. I mean, the gang members had a code. I'm not saying that it was, you know, morally correct. Honor amongst these kind of things. Right, right, exactly. And so uh, a lot of the gang members were from the neighborhood, you know, that area. And so they had families in there. Um, but, But part of it was 
the not being able to cooperate when a crime did take place or anything like that because uh, the the fear of repercussions from the gang. Mm -hmm. And so it it was mainly territory. You know, a lot of that changed through the years. um, And it had to do, uh, to be honest with you, it, it all came from prison politics that I think fixed a lot of that um, to a certain extent. Okay. I mean, don't take me wrong. There's a lot of crime that was still happening, a lot of things that were still going on behind the scenes, but there came a point in time when they were like, you know, women, innocent women and children were being killed yeah. during these drive-by shootings, so a lot of these prison, prison politics had to get involved and say, look, the, 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 again, one of those codes of like, look, you guys can kill each other, but you guys can't be going around killing innocent women and children type deal. So we're talking like a kingpin in prison <laughs> sending the message out? Uh, it's more of a like, a, you know, your, 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 prison, your prison gangs, man. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there was a lot more to that going on. So know? how did that bleed over into the streets, though? Well, the streets are controlled by the prison. Right. Okay, yeah. I mean, that's just the way it is. Because I remember when I was in high school, mm-hmm. there was a, a big thing between like blacks and Mexicans, and it was like somebody in prison when, like sent out the message to have beef with all the black dudes and stuff like that. Well, you know, it, and that's that's the thing. It's something, most of the time when something happens on the streets, most, not, I, I don't know about now, but back then, you know, somehow, some shape, form related to yeah. something. Which, by the way, I was in high school in the yeah. early 2000s, it needed to be mentioned, <laughs> college radio, this wasn't five years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, see, and I was in the... I was in grade school in the 80s, you know, yeah. 90s were my high school years and in college and stuff. But um, uh, again, it just it all kind of there was there was things that were happening that happened and were really bad. And in some shape, form or fashion, people who called the shots needed to fix certain things about that. Doesn't mean that. um Crimes were not being committed and people still weren't getting killed. No, it still meant things were happening. But, you know, some some codes of, of you would say, honor in their world had to be met. So, well, There's a certain sense of organization, too, where I, oh, rem- I think it was El, Ch- El Chapo or something like that. When they put him <laughs> in jail or whatever, it, the whole a lot of cartels broke up into different cells. Right. And they all started so, warring against each other instead of answering to the main boss and kind of being on the same page i guess if you will right? yeah I, I mean whether we like it or not there's uh, there's a lot of things going on in the background uh, that n- normal you know people that day to day go to school go to work do all that stuff they don't see and they don't understand it mm-hmm. um but yeah there's always a structure and there are structures in gangs and there are structures in you know uh, i'll tell you right now you go to any prison or any local county jail and it's segregated, not by not by the not by jail staff and not by anyone within the system. They segregate themselves. So, like, if you're if you're Hispanic and you're Latino, you you sit in that area where you're assigned to sit, and they say, "Hey, this is where you sit. This is our TV." And then on the other side, you have blacks, and that's our TV. And then you have the whites, you know, upstairs or wherever, where you know, however. But they segregate themselves. They segregate themselves because of prison politics. That's just the way it works. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I have heard that it is racially segregated in there, but I thought it was just 
kind of a preventative measure no, put on by the uh, deputy sheriffs. Nope. Has nothing to do with us. <laughs> they do it themselves. Uh, but but I, I will say, obviously, we're responsible for making sure that when we process people through the jails and all that to make sure we keep them safe. So we have to conduct extensive interviews and all that stuff to make sure that we're housing p- people properly as well. Oh, interesting. So hey, there's a whole process to that, man. Whole process. So were you were you in, involved in law enforcement in Southern California, or was it just the Bay Area? I was involved in both. In both. Uh, yeah. So yeah. I worked uh, down here in Southern California, and I also worked in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, yeah. uh, right by Oakland, uh, that area. So... Uh, Richmond, all the way down to Stockton type deal. Um, so I, I, I did, I was, uh, you know, I spent some time in the jail, very minimal, the beginning of my career. Excuse me. Um, but I went out to the street, uh, patrolled the streets. I was a field training officer on the streets. I became a crisis uh, negotiator for the SWAT team, uh, which was an experience in itself, just craziness, but it was, it was like, you know, it was like nothing else, man. I mean, it was a, one of those things where it's just like, you can't explain the rush. And, and at the same time, the, 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 having the opportunity to save someone's life, that kind of stuff is like, you know, important to you because I don't care what anybody says. Uh, you would hope that if you're becoming a law enforcement officer is because you want to help people and you want to help your community and you want to and if you're not if you don't have those things uh when you actually get involved then you're uh you know you're in it for the wrong reasons um but i'll tell you i i I ended up getting promoted uh to sergeant so i got to supervise my own team out there i was also on the justice team which was a street um uh, suppression team you know where we just dealt with um like concentrated approaches to crime to certain areas so it was like i i was involved in all kinds of stuff and i mean it was it was a crazy career for me (laughs) so you so yeah there's quite a unique skill set that goes into a crisis negotiator did somebody identify these skills in you or did you kind of have the 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 self-whereabouts to say hey this is my path you know um sometimes uh, I've, I've heard it, you know, some people are born to be great and then some people are thrusted into greatness, right, I guess. Um, there's an there's a ongoing joke in my department that, you know, I was a, a poop magnet, right? So, um, but, so I'm sure it, poop it, yeah. was, was the word. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it was. Uh, but I'll tell you, uh, the, the thing is, uh, I think that it was one of those things that piqued my interest very early on in my career, I, I, I saw an officer get killed uh, or I experienced the loss of an officer who was part of the wrestling community um, who was killed in the line of duty back in 2004. Um, his name was Larry Lassiter. He was also a Marine. Mm-hmm. Um, top of his class, uh, great shape, phenomenal response to a robbery and uh, ends up getting ambushed um, and loses his life. And so... Um, I responded to that call, and I'll tell you very early on, it was one of those things where I I experienced a lot of stuff that most people will never see in their lifetime. And so when it, the opportunity came up to become a crisis negotiator, I, I inquired about what that entailed, right? And so they told me, they're like, you know, you're, you're part of the SWAT team, but you're part of this specialized unit that we're going to help you get training for. And... I feel like I always had the ability to talk to people, 
de-escalate things, um, the ability to relate with people. And so when the opportunity came up, I interviewed for it. You had to interview. Um, and they, they picked their uh, best candidates for the position. And I was very fortunate to be chosen um, for that spot. And I worked with some great negotiators alongside me. Uh, I believe at the time there were seven of us on the team. And this was where? Up in Contra Costa County. Oh, this is a Contra Costa. Okay. Yeah, Contra Costa County yeah. Sheriff's Office. Um, and we, so anytime there was a, some hostage situation or some type of active shooter call, anything like that, we would get activated and we'd go out there. Um, because, you know, statistically, I think like 90% of incidents get resolved by crisis negotiators before, you know, the tactical team has to actually you know, respond and act. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, saw some crazy stuff and had some crazy experiences, but it was it was rewarding as well too. You know, I felt like we saved a lot of lives. I felt like I was I, I was personally um, blessed to be able to save some people in in my career, um, and literally get them off the ledge from committing suicide. That kind of stuff. Yeah, man. So. Um, just to get a little bit off, so I just recently listened to a podcast about the the Hollywood shooters, the bank right. robbers. I was in like right. the ninety seven or something like that. Yeah, I watched it live on TV. I were remember you, that. So you were a cop at that time? No, I was not. No, you were not a cop. I at was that time. not a cop yet, okay. but I watched it live. I might have been ditching school that day. Who knows? I don't remember. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, I'm not promoting that, by the way. I'm just saying. No, that, it, you know, it happens. Hey, you know? if, it, if it if it happened, it happened. But uh, I remember. Uh, watching that play all out on TV live, um, it was crazy. That was uh, that was that was nuts. There's like no crisis negotiation that could have talked those guys down. No, 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 no. I, I mean, there's there's certain situations. Um, yeah, that that was that's one of those where it's a it's a very fluid situation. You have to act, and there's no no other response but deadly force at that point, man. Yeah, I mean, crazy. You, you, yeah, that's that's one of those where it's just like there's no question about it. Bullets are bouncing it's, off yeah, these guys. It's done. Yeah, it's a done deal. Yeah. So apparently they robbed a Brinks truck like a year before or two years before. Right. They robbed another bank a year before that, and then they had a, I think I believe it was six minutes. They figured out they have a six minute window to go in there, and they weren't even being low key about it. Like. There's a story of the guy that robbed banks with a highlighter or something. Right. They just went in there like the movies. Right. Like, right. Yeah. All right, everybody. Blah. So it, it was right around the time when that movie Heat came out. So, yeah. No, yeah, they, yeah, they yeah. said right? that in the so. podcast, they said they, they could have been, uh, that movie could have been inspired by them. Right. 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 Well, maybe vice versa. I might be e- messing either that one. up. Like, I, I, I either get one. My, I get my facts uh, a little mixed up with no, that one. Now, but they but, did bring that up. But like, that, yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's, that's just one of those situations where it's crazy. And I'll give you an example. We had a, we had a situation where we had somebody holding their own mother hostage. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, it was it was one of those situations where it's like, okay, so we got activated and we responded. And I remember being in the Bearcat. You know, a Bearcat is one of those armored vehicles okay. that people say, oh, we're militarizing the, the police. No, right. no. Was that North Hollywood incident <laughs> kind of <laughs> right. Could influenced have used that. a lot of that? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, it did. As a exactly. matter of fact, I think that that's where the authorization of, you know, of uh, law enforcement officers to... Uh, have the ability to carry AR-15s after that because, um, you know, during that shooting, they had to go break into a gun store because, you know, they're pea shooters. We call them pea shooters or little side arms. You know, they weren't going to do nothing against uh, those guys because they were wearing body armor everywhere. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, 
Yeah. And so in this situation, I'm sitting in the Bearcat because uh, obviously there had already been shots fired. He's holding mom hostage. And uh, and there's a we have a couple snipers set up. And so our job is, well, to try to at least find some type of communication. If we can get them to engage in communication, that's great for us. Right. In this situation, it didn't work out that way. Right. And it got to the point where um, our snipers ended up having to use deadly force. Um, so was he holed up in his house? Yeah, his mom's house. Yeah, it was actually an apartment complex. Oh man. Yeah, yeah. So it was one of those things where it's like, um, you know, we have to do everything that we can to try to avoid ever having to take someone's life mm-hmm. or anything like that. But um, there's times where you just you can't. I mean, you have to do what you have to do. And the thing is, we, even as, as crisis negotiators, we are sometimes the first ones on scene. You know, sometimes we are the ones that have to transition. So mentally, you have to be prepared to say, okay, um, I have this situation, but I have to remember, I'm still a cop no matter what. Like, I'm, I have to enforce the law, and if I have to use deadly force, then I will. But that's not what we want, no. you know? So... Um, we go there and we try to initiate conversation and try to de-escalate things and try to get uh, people to surrender. I had this situation where this uh, man um, held up a jewelry store and actually um, ended up uh, shooting the jewelry store owner. And he uh, they exchanged fire, actually, and the jewelry store owner uh, shot him and wounded him. But he was threatening to kill himself at that point. And I happened to be working patrol at the time, so I responded to that call. And I had a face-to-face negotiation behind a shield, like a SWAT shield kind of, you know, and had a face-to-face negotiation with him, talking with him. Obviously, the dangers that you have there is that he could just turn the gun on us, right, or turn the gun on me. Um, and and reaction, obviously, wouldn't he probably beat me to the punch because, you know, we, we react and that reaction, uh, time frame is like almost a second. Right. And so that's the reason why a lot of officers sometimes have their hands on their guns or their guns out because reaction time, you have to, you have to compensate for that reaction time. Well, fortunately for, for me, I was able to talk to him about his daughter. His daughter uh, had just gotten married and she lived out of state and, um, I was trying to find a hook. So when we talk about crisis negotiations, we talk about hooks. And hooks are you have to be able to relate with this individual and get them to catch on to something. So, like, you throw different hooks out there. Hey, do you have children? Hey, are you married? You know, what, do you, what does this person care about? What is, what is going to get this person's emotions moving to take a different approach to the already bad situation they're in, right? So I was able to... Uh, What's the indicator? Like, do you just look at the how it affects their facial expression? Or, or, the, or, or their voice? Or, or to, yeah, their voice? Or, or they straight or up be like, that's the love of my life. Or, right. Does or it rarely say, happen that way? Or? You know, you'd be surprised, man. You'd be surprised how, how, how it does happen. Yeah. Um, sometimes a silence. Just something, they just stay quiet. You know, and you're just like, all right, well, he's listening. That's it. They're listening, right? Um. Man, I and I think about it right now, and I told him, you know, he goes, "No, I'm going to I'm going to prison for life now. This is this is over for me." And I said, "Look, man, if you end it now, if you whatever you have going on right now, um, 
you get to see tomorrow, and who knows? Your daughter's still going to be there. You're going to be able to talk to her. You're going to be able to have conversations with her. And if you do this now, you're going to end everything with nothing, right? I mean, you're never going to ever see her smile again. You know, just kind of that's kind of how I approached it. And and um, he had already been sitting there for about an hour bleeding out. And so he goes, you know, he goes, you're, you're lying to me. And I said, I have no reason to lie to you. You know, I, I had none. I had none. What, what, what am I going to lie to you about? Right. So. Finally, at the end, he he ended up. He ended it's, up it's like you already killed the shop owner. We're just trying to save yeah. you right now. Well, man. no, actually, luckily the shop owner. Oh, he was uh, still did alive. Not die. Oh, he just. Oh, no, yeah. We he he got out of there, but which was a, a a whole different story in itself. I mean, he got hit in the heart and didn't die. I mean, did not die. Oh my! Which God. was great. That's I like mean, a medical but, miracle. Yeah, right it, it really was. We were like, and so he thought. I got the information that he was still. That's that was his biggest hook. His biggest thing was that he believed he had killed the the shop owner. Okay. Yeah. And, oh, so he's like, and, 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 and unfortunately, like yeah. he had been inside the shop, so he knew the shop owner. So um, he knew his name was Oscar. So it didn't help that when I introduced myself to him, <laughs> yeah. said, "Hey, by the way, my name is Oscar." He was like, "Oh, you know." Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, sorry, man." Yeah. But uh, you know, at the end, he he put the gun down and he surrendered. And and you know what? It, it I'm I wasn't no one to judge for his actions. That that goes beyond me. That's for the courts and for the, his peers to do. So. I was just happy I was able to save his life, right? And so whatever he did criminally, whatever he, whatever life choices he took, he would have to answer to that. But um, it doesn't always work out that way either. You know, I've been to the point where there's stages to being a crisis negotiator. And there's stages and you get somebody where you think they're going to surrender. You get to what we call a surrender stage. And I, and I was like, man, you know, after talking to this guy for an hour and a half... I think I'm going to get him to go ahead and put the gun down. And he says, yeah, I'm going to put the, come, the gun down and I'm going to come out. And it just completely goes the opposite. Right. And when he uh, had this other situation, same thing, uh, not same thing, other situation. Um, this individual was involved in. Um, he had some mental health issues, documented mental health issues, um, broke into a gun store, stole a car, broke out of a mental health uh, uh uh, location that ha- he had uh, admitted himself to, um, and then he went and uh, he went and barricaded himself at a Seven Eleven store, you know. And so, I had a long conversation with him for about an hour and a half. Um, he was really young, and uh, I I really thought, man, I really thought that we were again somewhere, and we, and I felt we were on the right direction. Um, he, you know, he told me, he goes, okay, you know, I'm going to come out. I'm going to put the gun down and I'm going to come out. I said, all right, look, listen, when you come out, I'm going to be here for you. Just, just, I'm going to transport you myself. I'm going to make sure you get the help that you need. And, and it was just, you know, he was in there chugging some beers and at the end he comes out and he does not put the gun down. He starts on barricading the door. Um, and he made the decision to engage, um, in the sense that, you know, he pulled the gun up and, and, uh, we had to do what we had to do at that point. Um, you know, I'm very open about stuff like that because it's, uh, 
Well, for me, it's events that most people will never understand. And it's not it's not what you get into police work for. Um, you don't ever want to take anyone's life. It is it is uh it is difficult. Um our brains and I say our brains, we're not we're not cold hard hearted killers or cold blooded killers, right? So our brains are like a computer, and, I, and this is one thing that I explain because I, I, I do a lot of teaching to cops, and I do a lot of presentations of mental health issues and m- mental health issues within law enforcement and first responders in general. And it's because we see things that the brain should never see, you know? I mean, like, there's things that we see that um, that you just shouldn't be that way. So. It's, our brain is like a computer. You put a virus into a, a, any computer system, right? What happens? It just keeps it infects the whole thing. It just multiplies, and that's it. So yeah. when you see when you see death, when you see uh, a, a small child killed by their own family member, or or raped, or sodomized, or and you and you deal with these things, you know. It's like how how can people do this to someone, right? I was a detective for five years, and uh, and some of the cases that we experienced, you know, um, I can't ex- I can't even tell you some some very gruesome homicides and child abuse cases and stuff like that. That you're just like, how can people be this mean and this cruel to anyone, to anyone, right? Um, and it ranged from love affairs to infatuations to domestic violence to just a spare of the moment don't even know the victim you kill them just because you want to know how to how, how it felt to kill somebody you know that kind of stuff that's the kind of stuff we dealt with and and it was day in day out so we saw the worst in people and people at their worst for years at least i did right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until recently when I retired that that I understand now, um, because I joined the career very early on at, you know, 20, I understand now why, and I didn't then, I don't think, I understand why now that people just were so naive to not believe that any of this happens because it doesn't affect them directly. When something doesn't affect you directly... It's kind of difficult to process that and actually have some type of connection with it, you know. Right? Yeah, and it's 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 an interesting angle you just brought up because it is a, I mean, true crime crime documentaries are more popular than ever. Law and Order has been on air for what twenty twenty five years, right. but when it's not when you don't actually see it and you don't have that real life experience, it's just a form of entertainment for you. You're able to disconnect yourself and not really understand the reality. I mean, I like I like watching true crimes and stuff like that too. You know, it's not it's not like I'm talking about everybody else but me. So, you know, sometimes, you know, I I watched Criminal Minds for for a stint, maybe a year I binged a bunch of episodes or whatever. Right. And that is sometimes cringy and you don't really want to watch it. But it, it I rarely I don't think I until, you know, now I don't even really think I've tried to put myself in the shoes of the actual detectives. It was really just shock value for my own entertainment, and right. then I'd be like, "Okay, I watched three episodes of Criminal Minds in a row. I got to turn it I'm off." Done. <laughs> yeah, t- talk about having a ten-hour shift yeah. where you're in in the weeds, looking at these photos, interviewing people, trying to figure out exactly what went down. Right. 
it's a, it's a different ball game. Well, and 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 I'll give you another perspective on this too. You know, people talk about all the time, like you know, when they show a video on TV or something like that about somebody or, or some type of police misconduct or or alleged police misconduct, right? I mean, cops has been on there for how long? Forty years? Yeah, I don't know. Right? A long time, about. Yeah. Yeah. And and you see, ever since then, I mean, the cops just handled their business. They went out and they tackled whoever they had to tackle and yeah. arrest whoever they had to arrest. But every time you watched it, you knew what it was because you watched it from the beginning. You watched it unfold and you watched the arrest and you were like, uh, dude, you deserve that. You're going to jail because, you, you, I mean, you just did all this and I got to watch it, right? Yeah. So you got the full story. Um, and that's, I think, where we lack a lot right now. You don't get the full story. You don't get the same effect. Um, you know, and social media will only play certain parts. And and you don't always get the, the, the full background on things that happen. Again, I and I think you and I were talking about this earlier uh, before we came on air that, um, you know, I'm not naive. I'm not saying that people don't make mistakes and cops don't make mistakes and, and commit crimes and stuff like that. Yeah, there but, are oh, some bad yeah, cops yeah, yeah. for sure. And you even we, had a personal experience with one. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I had a book into our jails uh somebody who uh, supervised me at one point um when i was working a specialized uh detailing unit um and we were working closely into uh, uh undercover cartel stuff so um i'll tell you that um seeing somebody um betray their oath and the badge is something that none of us are none of us who are good cops or just say, just say, just who have the honor of being a cop um, tolerates it. We don't tolerate that, and we shouldn't at any point in time. And this guy, you probably, well, I don't, you might have even looked up to at some point in time. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he was running the whole unit. Yeah, you know, and and and. Uh, now, did anybody have suspicions of it, or did it kind of oh, just yeah. boom come to? Oh, you no, no, no. We had one. We had one. Well, one one person who talked about it, brought it to light, and uh, you know. Like everything else, it's, it's one of those things that sometimes is difficult to, like, we're cops, so we have hunches. Yeah. Like, you know, sometimes you, we look at somebody and we go, uh, be careful with that person, right? Because we kind of have that that sixth sense, per se. Mm-hmm. And so, so just like anything else, I mean, you can't go based on hunches, right? You need solid proof. You need something that would say, hey, this is what's going on. So, um, But we did have one individual that brought up and said, look, just something's not right. Mm-hmm. Something's not right. And eventually turned out to be something wasn't right. And it, and it But we ourselves were the ones who got involved, wrote the warrants, hooked them ourselves. I mean, we, we do what we have to do. We're not going to let people taint the badge because it makes us all look bad. So do you mind sharing what exactly he was doing? Um, you know, it, it had to do with, uh, I believe, uh, cell, at the time it had to do with uh, some cells of, uh, you know, dope. Um, but... We got some music. Let's go. Hey, dude, right before the story goes, wrong, come on. Wrong keyboard. Sorry. <laughs> so I was trying to type something into the Mac, and I did the wrong one. Sorry. No, continue. Uh, I'm no, listening. No, I'm just you know what? I think it's messing it, it up. I believe. <laughs> Live I'm, radio here. Yeah. I, I don't recall exactly what the details were of it, but it may have involved, uh, you know, selling of, of drugs and possibly weapons. I'm not sure. I can't recall exactly what it was now. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately for me, I was not in that unit. I had been promoted to sergeant at the time, so you know we, you know we actually booked this individual. 
And was I, this in I had the uh, opportunity. I, I had the opportunity to see him face to face and said, "Hey, um, you know, I can't believe you did this. You know, why'd you do this? You know, yeah." And couldn't even lick me in the eye, man. So it's one of those things where you're just like, and and I shut the door and was done. You know, and I, I never saw him again at that point. Um, but I have, you know, you can't, you can't, I, I, I don't accept it. I know my peers don't accept it. I've worked next to people who are complete heroes. I have, I have walked this and I'm honored to have walked alongside many of, of my peers who are just heroes. And, and I call them heroes cause they've done some very heroic things that nobody will ever know about. And, um, and when I say their story and when I talk about them, um, it's an honor for me. I mean, I had a friend, um, I have friends now I, and I, and I'll, I'll say some of their names because they were phenomenal cops and they're great cops, you know, um, Tony Lum, uh, Beto Garibay. I mean, I've worked, uh, Rennell Daniels, uh, I've worked alongside some great, great great cops and it's been an honor um but you know we've also lost i had a friend who beat beat me to a call um beat me him and a couple of his partners beat us to the call we didn't know they were responding to this active shooter he got it there 30 seconds before about 30 seconds before i showed up on scene and there was an active shooter and he engaged the active shooter and uh, was killed and his wife was actually my um she worked with me in the in in the department at the time, and you know his kids were my kids' age. You know, and I and I spent the whole day that day. I had to wear different hats because I was already working investigations. Mm-hmm. So not only did I have to deal with the aftermath of the of the active shooter that took place, and having you know to get Paul Starzik to uh, receive medical attention and get him transported and all that. Um, not only did I have to deal with that with along with, alongside with many other cops who showed up, um, but after that I had to switch hats and go back to, cause I was only one of like three or four, uh, Spanish speaking detectives in the entire department. Mm. And so anytime something major happened, we were being pulled all the time to translate, to write reports, to do all this. So not only were we handling our own caseload. But we had to handle other people's caseloads. And I'm not putting it on anybody else. But what I'm saying is that at that time, people didn't realize how much work we had to do because we were the only Spanish-speaking detectives. So, And in this case, most of the witnesses were Spanish-speaking. So I went there and I I spent, along with other detectives, we spent all evening after the shooting took place at early in the morning, like 9, 10 a.m. in the morning on a Sunday. Um, we didn't, I didn't leave that. I didn't leave the investigations department till midnight. And, and I drove straight to Paul's home, you know, and, and saw his wife and his kids. And, and I'll tell you, um, I'll talk to you a little bit about what happened with this because I was involved in so many things after this. Like I was involved in so many crazy things. We good on time? No, we're good. I just, I just want to, I just want to make yeah. sure this is staying alive. <laughs> no worries. I, I don't think I'm, 
I just want the screen to die. I hear you. you, know what I, mean? I, hear you. I just I just got to keep checking the levels and stuff like that. <laughs> I, like just, I, turned I, I, your, just, I turned your mic up a little bit. Right, it's just right. little adjustments on this side of the board you got to keep an eye on. So I, I'll tell you. <laughs> I'm listening. Don't no, worry. no, no, yeah. no. I, I'm, I'm just yeah, worried. Yeah, we're good that on time. We got, we got till uh, just like two, three minutes before five o'clock. So you got like 20 minutes. Oh, perfect. Yeah. I just I just don't want to like run on stuff. But I'll tell no, you, cool. I, this is what is important to me. And again, this is something we talked about earlier is that, you know, I think that mental health within law enforcement and first responders is something that that we need to start paying attention to you know over 300 off-duty officers are taking their lives in this country a year uh, around that and then that's not including the two three hundred officers that we lose every year due to uh dying in the line of duty and so we have to do better by our cops and um and our law enforcement and first responders in general and that's that's just I'm just talking on the law enforcement side. I'm giving you numbers from the law enforcement side. That doesn't include dispatchers. That doesn't include who take their lives as well. Dispatchers, um, firefighters, paramedics. I mean, we're talking all these people who are exposed to once again that virus that gets into the brain, right? Yeah. Have you have you heard? Do you have you heard about like there's an actual uh, there's a guy named Andy Norman that wrote a book called. Uh, mental immunity or something like that and mm-hmm. it's the whole this is why i brought up that one page when i typed it on the wrong side the wrong keyboard but it's uh so it's uh so it's like you have mind viruses right and there's two results of having a mind virus it's a culture warrior and willful belief and down the middle you have the way of inquiry so you want all cops to be on that way of w- inquiry but unless you're actively you know like discussing things uh surrounding yourself with people that might check your willful belief or your culture warriorism, you're just going to get deeper and deeper onto those two sides. Absolutely. And so, you know, you might like willful belief kind of sounds a little bit more of a, like a, a, like an upbeat kind of idea, but you, you experience something and then all of your thoughts are kind of like looked at through the lens of experiencing that thing. And you just believe it. You believe things are happening that aren't necessarily happening. Or you become the culture warrior where you're like, this world is so effed up. Um, that oh, yeah. I need to do this to make the world a better place, and it gets to such an extreme that you're a part of the problem. Right? And, I, and, 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 and I'll tell you right now, yeah, cops, and that's and that's one thing that people will tell you. I mean, anybody can tell you this that cops have that mentality of like they're always always up code black, like code red here, code. They're always looking at things, and 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 they're just and almost it's almost like a. Like a paranoia, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I'll tell you. But that, so, I mean, so, that's what's so, right. so important that what you're going to talk about. Right. And that's like, what I wanted to touch on because I experienced I experienced something in, in my life. And so when I talk, when I give these presentations about uh, taking care of yourself, it's super important. And, and the reason is because of all the involvements and all the critical incidents that I was involved in. Right. And I've only touched on a couple today with you. I I mean, I mean, I can't even I can go on and go on on things and tell you stories that are just, you know, anyway. Look, I get I get the heebie jeebies at a a funeral. I'm not seeing people actually die. I stopped going to funerals. I stopped going to funerals. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it because, you know, I I lost I lost a friend of mine here at uh, at Whittier PD who was killed by a gang member um, just just recently in 2017, you know. Um, he was, and it was a morning, it was in the morning, seven o'clock in the morning, total complete report of a car accident. So you're going thinking what it's a TC report, right? A traffic collision report. 
seven in the morning. People are going to work, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Stuff like that. So he responds, and it turns out to be that it was this gang member who had, you know, uh, had committed a, a murder already. And like that day? Yeah. Oh, my And that God. night. And he was in a stolen car, and, um, you know, he opened fire on two of our officers. He injured one of them, and he killed uh, one of my uh, uh, beat partners and and he also injured one of my other beat partners and if it wasn't for the other officers that responded that were there to to you know exchange fire with him and and actually take him into custody you know um but keith boyer that night you know that day lost his life and I, and and the the hardest thing for me throughout the years has been having to attend a police you know a police uh, uh funeral i can't do it no more because there was a point in time where we just we we're going to these things and I call them things because it's like I can't tell you the emotional the emotional strain that it puts on on my heart and in my brain and and it it is the hardest thing to 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 see you know broken families um because these hero these heroes are willing to stand between evil and and I say evil because there's people out there. I've seen evil in the eyes. There's people out there who have no soul. And and I and I I don't care what anybody says to me. I've seen it. So, with that being said, I'll tell you this. Um, I was better prepared to deal with Keith Boyer's uh, death at that time. And I'll, I'll say it because right around 2010, I, unbeknownst to me, um, I developed anxiety. I didn't know what anxiety was. Um, I didn't know what, what it entailed. All I know is that, um, I, I ran out of my house apparently. Um, and sorry to give you this visual, but in my underwear, not being able I to breathe. Naked, so, that's, that's <laughs> so at least, at least I saved you that. Better than my initial thought. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I ran out and, and, and I ran out and unable to breathe. And so I opened the front door and I'm there just taking deep breaths. Right. And I was like. All right, no big deal. Once I caught my breath and everything was cool, I went back to bed. And a um, couple of days down down the road, my wife pulls me to the side. She goes, hey, uh, listen, we got to talk. Let's go have lunch, whatever, right? And so my wife had already, she was a reserve deputy with us. Uh, and so I had, we had already had the conversation ever since Paul Starzik had been killed that we couldn't have two cops in the family, right? So, um so she decided to I to take a step back. So now Paul passed away early in your career. Right. right Paul in 2008. On 2008. 2008. Okay, so and you're, you're yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. And and so um and we had already lost Larry Lassiter in 2004. And um and obviously other officers that had been killed throughout that time, but I'm talking more of the ones that I had some type of connection mm-hmm. to and and you know, personal experience. Um but uh, with that said, she pulls me to the side. We have, we're having lunch. She goes, hey, listen, you ran out of the house not being able to breathe. I go, I know. I know. All right. I, I, I got it. I know. Right? And she goes, okay. She goes, what about the second time? And I was like, what do you mean? She goes, that's twice you run out of the house in your underwear running down the stairs not being able to breathe. You just didn't remember one of the times? I didn't remember one oh, of the times. Oh, wow. At all. I didn't. And so, and she and she pointed out some other things that were going on. She was like, you know, you're, 
You're being a prick. You're being a prick to me. You're being a prick to the kids. You're, you're, you know, you got to do something to control this because, um, you know, we were so sorry to cut in, but yeah. we were talking about Cargill earlier, and in in one of his lessons in his classes, you can't see the snow when you're in the middle of a blizzard. Exactly. Right. Yep. Yeah. And and I took and I took his class, and and it's I'll tell you, right it was there. a great it was a great class. Um, yeah. and I've actually continued to practice a lot of the things that I've learned there. Um, because of because I I know how important it is to have to uh, self care right mm. uh, and take care of yourself right and so um, I'll tell you this is a cop's fear the cop's fear is this when something like this comes to light number one there is that stigma of like what is everyone going to think right I'm supposed to be I'm supposed to be a warrior mm. right I'm supposed mm. to be a warrior um, what are my peers going to think of me. Am I going to lose my job? Am I going to lose my gun? Am I going to lose my career? I mean, all of this is a, is concerning because, you know, it, it's one of those things where you're like, what it, what's going to happen if I, if I let someone know about it, right? And, and so what ended up happening was this. I said, look, I'll go see my doctor. So I try to bypass the whole reporting it to the department or to our HR or anything like that, I said, I'll, I'll go see my doctor. And I, and I did. I went to go see my doctor. My doctor says, hey, Oscar, listen, you need to report it. And I go, but I don't want to. And I told him what my concerns were. And he goes, I'm sorry, man. You have to report it. He goes, you're going to need help. Reluctantly, um, I put things into perspective. What was important to me, the most important things to me were my wife and my kids, Right. And so I went ahead and, uh, and I, I went ahead and, and got some help, you know, I, uh, I reported it to HR mm-hmm. and HR, I'll give you this, man, my department and, and HR were really good. They, uh, they have something called the EAP, the employee assistance program. And so they offer you a certain amount of like certain amount uh they offer you services and part of that is that you have five sessions if you want to go sit down with a psychologist and have a conversation if you want Mm -hmm. if you just want to get things off your chest whatever right but that's just normal stuff but once i submitted the claim um they scheduled me with like five different people to talk to and and well one actually but i don't like it i it took me five people to find the right person Mm. to talk to and i'll tell you it was a young man um, and I say he probably didn't have much life experience cause he was really young. Yeah. Uh, he graduated and all that stuff. And he told me he sat there and you know what I loved about him was this. He sat there when I, when I knew I had found the person that I needed to talk to, he goes, look, Oscar, I don't know what you've been through. I'm not even going to pretend to act like I know what you've been through. I will never assume that I understand what you've done, but you know what I'm here to do? I'm here to listen. I'm here to talk to you. I'm here to help you through navigate through these things right i knew right then and there that that was the person i wanted to talk to and for a a year straight uh i uh i would see him on wednesdays and i'd go see him and i'd sit down and i'd talk to him and sometimes i was on duty and my department would allow me to go there and sit and do my do my thing and have my session and and i'll tell you my anxiety went and i didn't even know what anxiety was again um i didn't know what was i what i was experiencing what i did know was that there was this one time when I was going over the Bay Bridge 
the Oakland Bridge, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. the Bay Bridge. Yeah. And I'm sitting in the back of a car, and I wanted to jump out of the car, a moving uh, vehicle. Like, I wanted to jump out because I couldn't breathe. I felt, so, I felt a panic. I couldn't go into an elevator. I couldn't ride roller coasters. I couldn't be in crowded places. I, I, I completely, like, my life completely started becoming, like, it, it, was, it was nuts. Now, and, is that because you just there's just eminent... Like uh, danger? No, it's no. just what it, it, it's just it's the just brain ticking. You just the got brain. the mind virus. You're yeah. ticking. Yeah. The brain, the, the brain was doing things that I wasn't even aware of. Yeah, and and it and it had to do with everything that I was experiencing. So like you know? so like when like after you have those thoughts or impulses, maybe like did you say, "Wow, where did that come from?" Or did you fully go? Or I fully I fully try to ignore it. You just ignore. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. like, I'm good. I'm right. good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I'm good. Right. Handle business. This is what I do. This is what I do. This is what I do. And excuse my language, but you know, they say uh, to myself, I'd be like, don't be a, right? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, I'm like, nope. You know, right. this yeah. is this, what, this is what I do. Even this if is, you're not a is, cop, a lot of men say that. To yep. yep. I've said that to myself a ton of times. And right. so, and so, um, I'll tell you, it, it, it completely went away. My anxiety went away after that year of just, you know, getting help. Um, and I was able to go back and continue my career. And, and I still saw a lot of crazy stuff after mm. that. Um, but it, it helped me. I, I went, and this, this is my personal. I went back to church. I think my, my spiritual portion of it helped. My, my me-seeking assistance helped. The support of my family helped. Um, me recognizing I had a problem helped, uh, and all of that combined was able to get me back to, uh, some type of, you know, normal. And so I talk about that because, um, that's where we end up. We end up in dark places Mm. and that's where thoughts of suicide start to come in. Mm. And, and I can't tell you enough right now that. You know, I just I just had a friend of mine recently who who was involved in one of the incidents that I was involved in. And I can't say that this was the reason why he got in trouble at work or why he left the career early. But he was also a a military person. And then this and he just took his life recently. And um, and it hurt me because it's one of those things where you're like. I understand that we have, especially as men, we and in our career, it's difficult to come out and say, dude, I'm having an issue. I have a problem. I need help. Right. And then once we leave the, the, the place, it is important for us to maintain communication with those that leave as well. Because you know how people say a lot now, you're just a number at work. Enjoy life. Yeah. You're just a number. It's tr- and to a certain extent, it's true because once you leave... If you get up and leave, they're going to replace you in here, right? Yep. I mean, you get replaced. Somebody is going to take your spot. Yep. I am board engineer one <laughs> at yeah, 22 exactly. exactly. That's it. Somebody else will literally have that same email once I leave. <laughs> <laughs> so the truth of the matter is that, um, you know, after you retire, it's good to keep that network, to communicate and say, hey, man, how you doing, brother? Are you good? Or, or, or to hey, just anybody, you know, um, it, but. But it's difficult, man. It's hard. And if it wasn't for my wife, man, and, you know, and, and for me, God has been a big foundation in my life. Uh, I think that 
that's what was able to bring me back to uh, to be able to continue my my career. And unfortunately, what took me out of my career was a back injury oh, <laughs> that I had suffered back when in, in 2007 yeah. that finally caught up with me, and 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 it was time for me to hang it up. Uh, but I rather it be that, to be honest with you, than you know me having some type of nervous breakdown or maybe end up being a statistic just like anybody else. Yeah. No, yeah, back injuries are tough, man. I, I heard somebody talking about their back injury, and they were saying... In our class. Yeah, that, yeah class that's together. who it was, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's... Uh, yeah, yeah, no, exactly. It, it was, you it, don't see it. Right. It's not like you have a sling on or anything. Right. So, like, so people oh, you don't understand right. it. Yeah, my buddy's dad growing up had... had he, he worked in a warehouse, yeah. and a forklift dropped a pallet on him. Oh. And he had... I, I, more than two, he had multiple back surgeries and stuff, and I mean, he couldn't he couldn't sit down for that long. He had to stand up or just lay straight up on the floor. Right, that was a tough right. go. He couldn't work anymore. Right, you know, yeah. it's just it's 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 rough, man. People can't see it, and you're in constant pain. I mean, my my yeah. my, yeah, I'm in pain right now. <laughs> yeah, I bet. but uh, but you know, you 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 have to learn how to live with it, how to exercise with it, how to do all that stuff. But even then, it's like it's it's not gonna go away. Yeah, you know? and you're a uh, a wrestler too, right? I wrestled. I wrestled in high school, and I wrestled a little bit at uh, my my short stint, one season stint at uh, Cerritos College. There we go. Until until I became a cop, right? Um, uh, so just like but, real quick, within a few minutes, how yeah. how do you uh, try to implement wrestling for your training program? Oh, so yeah, we do. So wrestling. So it's the same thing. And I, on a I, high I, note, yeah, 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 yeah. I did. So I I I I trained jujitsu. I'm by no means. Okay, I'm putting it out there. By no means am I like I'm a purple belt or blue. No, 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 dude. I mean, I I, I do jujitsu and I, but I was a wrestler and and I trained my kids in wrestling and I've coached numerous kids in wrestling throughout the years. Um, my son right now is at West Point. My other son wrestled at NYU and East LA College, and um, and they wrestled at St. John Bosco. I mean, these kids, they 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 were tough. Uh, nothing. I was never anything close to what they have become right um but i'll tell you uh we implement a lot of this training now into um our arrest and control portions of training uh so i'm involved in doing that with police officers and law enforcement and so the way we involve it is because you know i i can't tell you how many videos i've seen of people even though they use justified force to conduct an arrest it doesn't mean it looks good no yeah you know yeah, what i mean by that like yep you know the guy. The guy is actively fighting whatever, and you're just gonna like wham. You know, hit him one, and you're like, man, that just looks bad. It just looks bad. Yeah. And 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 anybody who's trained jujitsu, anybody who's wrestled, can tell you and understands this. Anybody who's listening to this, who's done that, understands that there's so many other ways to handle um, certain things and and take control of certain situations. At least until you get more backup, whatever, right? So we're implementing a lot of these things that are just more like, hey. Instead of like punching somebody in this situation, which you would just, you know, you justly could do that. It's non-lethal, right? You, know, yeah. you could justly do that. Why don't we try this? Use your body. Let's rock the arm out. Let's pop it to the back. Keep your body weight on them. You know, and someone like me, I mean, I'm like 250, right? So I'm gonna <laughs> put 250 pounds on you. I'm sorry. I mean, like, yeah, I, I'm on you. And then give me your other arm. And then you, you there's just different things you could do, man. You know, yeah, there's or, different different things yeah sometimes you'll see a guy like all hopped up on whatever 
and there's you know multiple cops trying to take him down by his shoulders or his arms instead right. of just a little leg sweep or something. Right, like that, right? right. And and yeah. and you know what? Um, that's the thing. And you get a lot of officers who become officers who've never even been in a physical fight. And if that's you, yeah. I'm sorry. If that's you, you need to get into a, a, an MMA gym. You yep. need to go and learn. You need to go feel what it feels like to get punched in the mouth yeah get get your butt kicked right. first i mean then, that's, that's in, the, in a good way no 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 and yeah. it's true i mean any I, I i feel that most people should get their butts in a gym and learn what it feels like to get punched in the mouth yeah mm-hmm. right and then yeah. it, it, i think that that's where we start to learn uh respect for each other as people is because that, that was the problem growing up in the hood man you know you you you'd, you punch somebody in the mouth next thing you know they want to pull a gun out on you and you're mm. like that's the only resort you got Mm-hmm. Like, really, that's all you got, you know? It's okay, you, you, you know. Um, uh, what, what was that movie where he tells him, oh, you live to fight another day, right? You might, you might get, you might, you might get a hit, but you live to fight another day. I don't know. Uh, I, I, I'll remember later, but. Or the Mike Tyson quote. Yeah. Everybody's got a game plan until you get until punched, you get in, punched in, yep. in the mouth. Yep. Right? And that's. In the mouth. It's yeah, just and true. If you've never been punched in the mouth before, it's yeah. It's, and if you've never worn a uniform and yeah. you've never been in a physical altercation in a uniform, and so with some of these people who have, I mean, it's 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 amazing the strength that you have that some of these people have sometimes when you're fighting them. Mm-hmm. It's not. Yeah. It is. It really, truly is. And uh, people are quick to to judge and and decipher or, or, or look at things and and make their own opinions, but. That's what we're working at. We're going to work. You know, my, my goal is to continue to work for the mental health thing towards uh, officers, get them ready mentally to deal with the job, to deal with their careers, to deal with their families, to deal with the aftermath, um, and as well as, you know, training officers to um, better uh, use force, use their words, de-escalate as much as possible. You know, not everything requires action right? mm-hmm. or a reaction. Yeah. So... I mean that's 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 a goal. That's a message. Um, well, I think that's a good place to end. Thanks for coming by, Oscar. Hey, Daniel, it's I a great conversation. I, I, I appreciate you inviting me over, man. Yeah. I had such a good time sitting here with you. This man. is yeah. everything I could have wa- wished for for this inv- conversation. Really appreciate mm-hmm. it. Thanks, brother. Thanks, yeah. man.